The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 149 of the Sample Chapter Podcast, our last bonus episode for the month of October. Oh my goodness, what a month it's been. It has been so exhausting doing all these bonus episodes, but I'm glad to be able to have put them out and shared so many incredible authors with you. And, uh, you know, today is no exception. Our guest today is Bonet Bartron. Bonet is a screenwriter and director, a filmmaker out of Hollywood, and uh, she is here today with her debut novel, Whispers. It is a wonderful urban legend, supernatural thriller type book that's got it's got all kinds of grit and, uh, you know, urban legend kind of stuff going on with it, and I can't wait to uh, get us over to that. Uh, we're going to be talking about the pains of being a director, writing characters from real life, and hearing the tale about how she wrote her first story at the Rainbow Bar and Grill there on Sunset Boulevard. That and so many other wonderful things coming up here in just a moment. So stay tuned for that. Like I said, this is our last bonus episode for the month of October. And I <laughs> I am relieved. It's been a very trying month. Uh, you know, of course, the month that I'm trying to do this, it turns out to be lots of things going on in my personal life. Um. Some of you all know, like I mean, you remember a couple weeks ago when I was recording at Barnes and Noble, and uh, you know I had been uh, went in for my dad's surgery. My mom had a surgery a week later, and that took a turn, and she's had uh, very serious health issues ever since, and it's it's been consolidating a lot of my time to the point where I almost thought I wasn't going to get this episode up at all, uh, but uh, fortunately. Mom's doing better, and uh, for those of you out there who did see, you know, who were aware of this and whatever, I, I really appreciate your kind thoughts and, and uh, sending along your, your prayers. Uh, I really appreciate that. Man, I'm I'm looking forward to slowing down here in November. Of course, of course, it's November, so you got NaNoWriMo, and I'm hoping to do a lot of writing in November because I didn't do a lot in October, that's for sure. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I think uh, sitting down creatively and getting to express myself and write a story each morning instead of working on a new episode twice a week, I think will be nice. It'll be good for me to just kind of express myself through a story. And I'm looking forward to NaNoWriMo. So if you are in NaNoWriMo and you want to, uh, you know, you want to look me up, you can do so. Just look me up at Jason A. Meiske, um, add me as a buddy and I'll add you back and then we can just root each other on. Well, speaking of NaNoWriMo, our sponsor Scribner also has a special deal going on. If you're going to be participating in NaNoWriMo and you don't have Scribner right now, you can get it. I believe there's a trial period throughout November that you can try it out and see what you think. Uh, just for doing NaNoWriMo, you'll get a 20% discount to purchase the uh, the program. And if you win NaNoWriMo, which means you wrote 50,000 words in the month of November, you submit that over you know, follow the, the rules that they set up, then you're going to get 50% off of Scrivener, which is incredible. Uh, when I am writing, <laughs> that's where I do all of mine. And I'm looking forward to opening that up here in a couple of days. I think I'm just going to relax for a few days and be with my family. And, uh, and then November 1st, I'm going to hit it hard. 
Don't forget that if you're not going to be doing NaNoWriMo, but you're still interested in Scrivener, I've got an advertisement coming up, and uh, you can listen to that and hear some more details about Scrivener and what they do. But I can tell you right now, use coupon code CHAPTER at checkout, and you're going to save yourself 20% on the regular desktop version. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's worth trying out, you know. Give it a try and uh, let me know what you think. But meanwhile, here's that advertisement for Scrivener Writing Software. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. I would also like to thank Pop Goes the Culture Network, home to uh, 10 or 12 different pop culture type shows. Wonderful, wonderful shows. Lots of great ones in there. I listen to, I think I listen to all of those now on a pretty regular basis, especially their flagship show, Pop Goes the Culture Podcast. That comes out every Friday, and you can actually interact with them on Thursday nights when they record it live. Uh, and they do that on, uh, it's like a cast channel or Facebook Live. It's one or the other, or maybe both. Uh, but you can uh, click that link in the show notes to find out how. Um, I think earlier in the week I talked about they were going to be discussing Mandalorian, but I think they ended up talking about horror movies for Halloween, uh, their their favorite hollow, Halloween horror movies. So, uh, But that episode should be out today as well. So make sure you're clicking that link in the show notes to find out more about Pop Goes the Culture Podcast and all the other shows in the network. You're going to love it. Finally, I want to thank Project Entertainment Network, my second network that I'm so happy to be a part of. Home to 35 different shows, a variety of shows, wide variety. Everything from opinionated shows, you know, discussing, debating uh, a topic, uh, but from a comedy angle. Uh, There's old monster movie discussions, there's horror writers, there's just writers, and and the the art of writing, uh, reading even, reading books, another uh, show in there about books like us. A whole bunch of them, I mean, more than I can go into right here. So check out this advertisement for one of those wonderful 35 shows, and then click the link in the show notes for more. The Necrocast Tick On, where we blend horror and heavy metal for your pleasure and ours. Featuring interviews with the stars of heavy metal, horror, and more. With host speculative fiction author and journalist Thomas R. Clark, YouTube sensation Mr. Scott reacts. Foodie and metal historian, smoking walled ball, the Spartan warrior, Sergeant Fury, Dan Roberts, and our guy on the couch, Uncle Skip. Cause we all need a guy on the couch. Oh, and me, Charlotte, your virtual hostess. Available Mondays, wherever you find your fine-ass podcasts. Yes, indeed, another fantastic show from Project Entertainment. As I said, click that link in the show notes so you can find out more about that show. Hey, all of us, all of those podcasts and Scrivener and NaNoWriMo, for that matter, we're all available on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, just about anywhere you're looking on 
social media, you can find all of us, uh, including this show, Sample Chapter Podcast. It's very easy to find in, in those areas. Uh, you can uh, like us there, and uh, if you find an episode you, you really like, make sure you share that and tag the show so that I can see that you have uh, you've done so, and I'll give you a shout-out in an upcoming episode. If social media is not your thing or you'd just like to reach out to me directly, you can do so via email at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. And I know there are some of you who have been emailing me here recently, and I have not been very good about getting back to you. I'm sorry, but I will. I will be getting back to each and every one of you very, very soon, and we're going to get something set up here in maybe uh, November or December, and uh, I promise you. So hang in there and uh, be patient with me. I'm, I'm about to get back online here, or get back in order, get some things back in order. Uh, you can also, if you'd like, you can also leave me a voicemail by calling 660-851-1146, and just uh, leave me a short voicemail. Tell me what you think about a recent episode or if you'd like somebody to uh, come on the show coming up, then just uh, leave me that voicemail and let me know. All right, well, hey, look, it's time for us to get on over to our interview with Bonet Bartron and her debut novel, Whispers, coming right up after this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sample Jack Podcast. I am having a blast already, just laughing along with today's guest. Bonet Bartron, oh gosh, you are in for a treat. Uh, Award-winning screenwriter and director Bonet Bartron has always loved books, but it took the world shutting down for her to finally write one. Whispers, her debut novel, is a spine-tingling thriller with a sharp satirical perspective, the perfect genre for her to cozy up to in these unprecedented times. And I think you're going to find that to be just the same as it is as of today, a number one new release on Amazon. I don't even know she's aware of that, but uh, Bonet, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me on, Jason. I had way too much fun with you in the pre. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> and, and I was so thrilled whenever you, you sent me the message about how, how well the book was doing. It had just come out. But yeah, I just looked today and it's now a number one new release. So congratulations. Wow. Thank you. Oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> oh, I'm so grateful. It's, it's definitely kind of scary when you put something out, especially because this is my debut novel. So, you know, I was very intimidated by the entire idea of like switching mediums going mm -hmm. from screenwriting to novels. So it's it's been really awesome and such a humbling experience to have so many people, you know, coming out and giving my book a try. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> So you are, I mean, I, I guess I should like get right to it there. I know a lot of people are going to be interested to the first part that I said, screenwriter and director. Uh, give us a little bit of, uh, of your background. Okay. Well, um, when I was a little kid, I used to make movies like everybody else, you know, with my parents' super height video and uh, my sister who is a saint and my mom were my first stars. So, you know. <laughs> and then when I got in high school, I actually had a teacher. I lived in Stuttgart, Germany. Um, I'm the daughter of a special forces Green Beret. And so we lived on uh, Patch Barracks in Stuttgart, Germany. And there I had an amazing video production teacher. And I didn't even know that was a real thing. But he hooked me up with AFN to do some interviews with like big, big bands that were just coming through Germany on tour. And yeah. since 
you know, I spoke English and they were from America. It ended up working out really well where I got to do a lot of the interviews and then Germany would, you know, well, I wouldn't say all of Germany, but certain places in Germany would replay the interviews that I did because they were in English. Of course, most Germans can speak English, you know. Um, so it ended up being like a really cool experience for me as a kid, but it was the first time I really realized that the film industry wasn't a million miles away. I, you know, as a army brat, the world I knew was the military world and everything else like movies seemed like, you know, you have to be born into that. Like that's a, it's like practically royalty, right? And it's not, right. but it just feels, it, it feels that way whenever you're, you know, not in that world. So my teacher gave me a lot of encouragement. His name was Mr. Fritz. He gave me a lot of encouragement and helped me interview. I want to say it was 50 something bands. Um, that year and uh including like papa roach and disturbed and you know black sabbath and <laughs> all the like really fun metal bands because yeah. that's my favorite <laughs> I'm, I'm a metal girl i know it's so not popular in 2020 but i don't care i love metal <laughs> um, but yeah so after that I, I decided to move out to california and just start you know making movies and that did not work out like i i did win quite a few awards when i was in high school for the, the interviews I did in some of the, I, I did a mockumentary and stuff and they did really well, but <sighs> California was a new beast. And I came out here and pretty much had my ass handed to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went back to, uh, I went to college and whenever I was at um, the University of Colorado in uh, Pueblo, I started working for the local TV station down there um, my teacher, my video production teacher actually hired me to be, um, like a live director. So I just got to sit in a van and direct things from inside the van. It was really fun. Um, and then I decided to go back to LA after college and like worked my way up from the bottom. I was a PA on my first film that I got into and I was so excited to be there. Like, <laughs> it was like that PA that's like, oh, you want me to pick up trash? I'm on it. You know? like, <laughs> I was so that girl. Like, I mean, the first day of set, my very first day on my very first real movie set, I got into a major car accident. Oh. Yeah, it was horrible, like totaled my car. And I called the um, car rental service and they brought me a car to drive to set and I was still five minutes early. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was that excited, right? Um, so I spent like the next probably seven years working in all the different departments in you know the film industry, which there are quite a few crews that it takes to make a movie. And mostly because I wanted to learn what everybody did. Because mm -hmm. when you're a director, you're really controlling the minutia while the um, professionals in that crew control the majority of it, right? Like they're, they're taking care of it, but you're the one who's telling them how to make it look, how to make it feel, what the energy is, et cetera. So it's impossible to tell somebody to, you know, change your speed on your camera if you don't know what that is, or to, you know, shoot MOS if you don't know what that is. You know, I mean, there's so many different things that depending on what, what crew you're in it it really has a its own reality each crew has its own reality so mm -hmm. i felt like that was really important for me to learn what everybody else did so that i would be a decent leader um 
And after I worked in production design for quite a while, that's kind of where I like fell in, where I just kept getting hired as a production designer and in set decoration and whatnot. And then um, I started writing my first screenplay actually right before I went to Iraq in uh, 09. It was actually 08 when I started writing my first screenplay. And then I was in Iraq for seven months. Uh, I was in Mosul for seven months. And during that time, I really didn't have any time to write anything because I was just, I mean, it was the front line of the war at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was hopping, you know? So I really wanted to pay attention to what I was doing out there. So I just kind of put it aside. And then whenever I came back um, from Iraq, I went ahead and just really tried to, okay, I'm going to get this done. And it took me six months to write my first screenplay. (laughs) (laughs) it was forever and I wrote it actually I lived in a house full of people Um, I rented a house with two different couples I was the only single person there and that was quite hilarious because they hated each other so (laughs) I used to run off to the rainbow bar and grill on sunset boulevard and the owner there Mario gave me a table in the back of the rainbow and like would guard it for me so that nobody would come over and talk to me when I was writing Mm. so I actually wrote the first draft of my first movie at the rainbow which was oh, nice. so awesome i love that place it's such a it's a metal bar and it's like the metal bar like it was really funny that's actually why i started hanging out there is because all the people that i'd met during my interview time that was where they hung out and it it felt very comfortable to me like very familiar because there were a bunch of people i actually knew in this great big city that i had no idea about you know mm-hmm. so that like that was you know the first time I tried my hand at it but um I sold a screenplay that actually got made into a movie and I'll be honest with you um I don't really talk about this very much but the director decided to rewrite a bunch of my screenplay which actually went against our contract um and so I almost took my name off of it because the way that he had changed my words and stuff were just so disappointing Oh no. But yeah, it was really, it was really unfortunate. Like I gave him a very strong feminist film and by feminist, I mean like looking at it through like a woman's perspective. Right. And he turned it into this like, you know, male savior, like saving this little girl. And it just, it turned out to be just really unfortunate for me. (laughs) I was very disappointed. But that being said, it did open, um, in all 50 states it went to theaters in all 50 states and that was great and you know good for them but it made me really decide that you know what i need to be the one directing my stories i can't let somebody else take my work and you know change it and to be frank with you the director he changed it because he wanted a writing credit on it and again like it was just a whole thing where i was like what like what you know what i mean um and so i was just like nope Never again. So that's whenever I started really focusing on directing. And um, I did do a few music videos and, you know, like little shorts, nothing professional, just like little shorts with a bunch of my friends before. But then I started really focusing. And now I've got a, I've worked with people like um, Kimberly J. Brown, who was Marnie in Halloween Town. Uh, she's also like a dear friend of mine now. And um, uh, Adrian France Bailey, who I don't know if you know her, she's a like three-time Emmy Award winner, if I'm not wrong. Um, I know she's won Emmys. I'm not sure if, how many exactly, but I think it's three. She might be mad. It might be more like four or five. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> she is 
absolutely phenomenal. So I've, I've been really fortunate. I've been working with like really, you know, great actors now and just getting the opportunity to actually tell my stories the way I want to tell them. And I actually had two movies that we were supposed to be shooting this year and then COVID happened. And that was quite the blow. I'm no, I know it is for everybody though. So it's not like, you know, woo, woo, woo is me, like whatever. But one of them was seven years in the making. So it was oh, kind gosh. of, kind of a knife to the stomach. It's, it is really difficult in this industry. And like, I'll be honest about this. Um, the, like female directors are only about 4% of directors period. So we actually don't make up a very large percent. And it's not because, you know, fem like women don't want to direct. It's because there's a very real line there that a lot of women don't get the opportunity ever. I mean, I know women in their forties, fifties who have done less than I have. So I'm really grateful to those women mm -hmm. for cutting the path for me. Cause there's no way that I would have gotten the opportunities that I've had so far without those ladies spending their entire life toiling. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's a very real, um, it's a very real thing that there is a big disparity in that. So I've been just very much focused on trying to tell my perspective, like my truth, my, you know, my view on the world, because that's all I can really offer. You know, that's all I really am is a perspective. And uh, that's kind of what led me to write this book is, you know, we were supposed to shoot in April, started seeing what was happening in the world around us, not with COVID, but with just all of the upheaval in our country and, you know, how so many people were not communicating with each other. And there were, you know, angry words and just really just passionately angry people to people who, you know, used to love each other the day before kind of a thing. Right, right. And that inspired me to say something. But saying something on social media feels a lot like screaming into the void for me. I don't know about you. How do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah. No, I agree with you. There's been several times. And, and of course, here, as we get closer to the election, there's several times where I just want to like, I, I see something outrageous that I want to say something. I'm like, Oh wait, no, it, it's not going to be, it, it's not going to matter what I say. Right. And, and I, cause I don't care what they say. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, you're smarter than me. I unfortunately went down the spiral for a while. <laughs> like, I did. I was like, ah, what are we doing? You know? Um, and then I just decided, you know what? Like, I can sit here and waste my time talking to people who are just trolling each other. Or I can do what I do best. And that is tell a story. So I decided. Good like for this, you. This, isn't a thank you. This isn't a super political story. You know, um, it's more about the like where we are as a country and how to move forward and some of the myths and legends that we tell ourselves to, you know, give ourselves, I guess, a little bit of comfort in the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's what inspired this whole journey was pretty much my filmmaking journey. And that was also the reason I decided to go ahead and self-publish this book, which was actually really terrifying for me, being that you know, I am a well, being that I'm a professional writer. It was a little bit like, well, this this could be bad for my brand. <laughs> like, this could be a thing, you know. Um, and we, I did actually get some um, 
like immediate interest from the, you know, the big five. Um, mm -hmm. But the earliest that anybody was talking about, you know, even being ready to publish was six months. Um, oh, yeah. And I was like, nah, nope. I want it to come out now. <laughs> I want it to come out now. And I just need to like put it out there in the universe. And if people respond to it, that's what it's for. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Don't think about yourself. Don't think about your brand. Don't think about any of that crap. Put it out there. Yeah. So, and it, it'd be one thing like if, you know, I, and I don't know yet if, uh, if this is what your plan is, but this is a one-off or if you plan for more, but like, I know lots of authors who are like, I, you know, I don't want to be, still working on this book on, or just promoting this book a year from now when, you know, you're still, when you're working on other things, it's like, I, I want to have this done, promote it. Let's go. And then on to the next book and go that from there. Good point. Mm, that is such a good point. Yeah. That, I mean, I'm not sure what the future holds for me. I will say that I did really enjoy the um, medium of writing a book. It was freeing in some ways and very challenging in other ways, um, especially because I kind of had to learn how to write it while I was writing it. Mm, yeah. And I chose a very um, different perspective <laughs> to write it from. Like, of course, I had to pick the hardest way to go about doing anything. Come on. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> that's, I mean, literally, my, my team laughs at me. They're like, if there's an easy way, Bonet will literally say, nah, I'll take that rocky road right there. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> oh, to my detriment. But anyway, I had to kind of figure out how to write a story um, from, because it is a mystery, from the perspective, like a closed perspective. So I wrote from a single person's perspective. And the only thing that the audience gets to experience is what she experiences. And okay. I found it quite effective for this kind of a mystery because we only knew what she was doing what was happening and like what her perception of everything around her was. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the reasons that I felt like that was really important is I, uh, one of the characters, it's three sisters. Um, and one of them is a stepsister. So it's two sisters by blood and then their stepsister and they're all extremely close. And this, um, they, the two sisters have children, the stepsister and the blood sister. And then the main character is childless, but she is a high powered lawyer and it gives her the opportunity to take her family on a vacation to Orlando to hit all the parks and really do it up with the kids. And um, one of the, or the stepsisters, she's black and her experience on things like the way people treat her and whatnot is different. And I, I wanted to make sure that I highlighted how I've observed people treat people that I love in my life who are more blessed with an abundance of melanin um, versus how they treat me. And in general, um, it's something that like, I don't think a lot of people notice until you notice. And once you notice it, it becomes, you know, something that I felt like I needed to say something about because it's not fair. Like, it's just not. Um, some of the ways that people just automatically prejudge people. So that being said, I knew I couldn't write from the perspective of a black woman being uh, a white woman myself. That would be absolutely blasphemous <laughs> and you know unacceptable because I have no idea what it actually is to go through those things. But I can tell you what it looks like 
And so that was something that I felt like was really important for these characters, especially because my sister-in-law is black and two of my nieces are black. And I do see the way that they move through the world um, is very different than my, my actual blood sister who has also two nieces. So I did definitely draw the characters from you know, my real life and the people that I love the most. And I find that interesting. I, it was something I experienced myself because my first protagonist in my first book uh, was an 18 year old teenage girl, which I am far and away from being. Right. Um, <laughs> well, hey, no, I'm not going to judge or guess. Okay. Not yeah. I accept that. Yeah. As, as a you know, late 40s uh, man, it, it, that was interesting to try and get in that head space. But I was fortunate because I, between my wife and my teenage daughters, I had lots of perspective. I could get, I could talk to them and say, you know, find out, and I, I got a lot more information than I really needed. Uh, like <laughs> probably more than you wanted, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was funny. Like I'm talking about, like, okay, so like, if she's gonna do her hair this way, she needs to like bend over and dry it and brush it out and then come back, and it gives it body. And they're like, yeah. And I was like. Wait, why do oh, I, I like why am I you. asking that? Like, I don't need that in this scene. Like, oh my gosh. You know what? It, but you was... need to get in the character's head. You needed to know. Well, yeah, there you go. The ritual was. That makes total sense to me. That informs who she is, how much effort she goes to. to you know, and it really did. It really yeah. did. That's right. And it, it's there's it's amazing how much we write that does not end up going in the book. But yeah, it informs the character. Did you find a, a challenge with that? Uh like transferring from scripts to a novel? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was definitely very different. So with a screenplay, you're not necessarily writing a story. I mean, mm -hmm. you are. That's just part of it, though. The rest of it is an instruction manual for the crew. And it's also a almost like a skeleton version for producers. So like producers... And, and if you write for directors and you're not writing for yourself, because I do write for myself now, like I, I don't write for directors, um, had a couple of inquiries from directors. And I'll be honest, like there may be a day where I'll let another director take one of my movies. But like I am so specific now, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> I must be in the room. I must approve that. <laughs> like, I've become so <laughs> But I would suggest actually being that way and not getting super excited about you know, an opportunity, but actually like making sure that the opportunity that presents to you is one that you actually want. Um, and making sure that the person that is telling your story is somebody that you trust with that story. I mean, because a person can be a great filmmaker and just not be the right one for you too. That is a very real thing. Mm. Yeah, for this, like, I mean, a person can write an amazing action film, but if you put someone who does comedy in that, it's going to be a different kind of movie, you know? Right, right. So it is really important to know who you're working with. But all of that to say, um, the book, usually I get to rely on my actors. I tell them, you know, these are the dialogue, this is the dialogue. And I have an idea in my mind how that dialogue is going to be delivered. But one of the things I love about actors and one of the reasons I love working with actors is they take my words and they internalize them into the character that they've built. There's so much work that goes into being an actor and building a character that the character that I wrote and the character that ends up on screen, it's almost like a sketch version versus like a high definition photograph. You know, I okay. give them a sketch of who the person is and they give me 
the reality. Um, that is not the case in books <laughs> <laughs> at all. <laughs> so I was kind of the actor playing every role, which right. was such a new experience because you really don't want to assume too much about a performance when you're writing a screenplay. Um, in general, they, I mean, everybody has their own style to it. Um, I definitely am a little bit more stylized, I think, than some of the other um, screenwriters that I know. But um, most people try to make it as universal as possible so that a director can come in and color it in. Like if Tim Burton comes in, it's going to look like a Tim Burton film. If, you mm -hmm. know, like just to use people that we know, right? Like if Steven Spielberg comes in, it's going to look like a Steven Spielberg film. And so if you write a script that's too stylized and a, a director reads it and they don't see their own flavor in it, it can actually hurt you um, when you're trying to sell a script. So it's a completely different thing with the book where like I got to really lean into my style. Like I got to lean into the way that like I wanted my characters to react in these situations and not just in their dialogue, but in the way that they acted in their words and um, like the, the way they said their words, you know, the way they um, emoted, the way they, they allowed things to penetrate them or not, you know, um, and like how they deflected certain things. These things were all just such a cool experience <laughs> to get to have where I was, you know, living all of their perspectives instead of just giving people good words to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, whenever you're and when you're doing that book, then you are now, like you said, every character, you know what's going on and how to present that. And of course, we can't give we can't give the reader all the information. We got to let them discover it through the main protagonist. And it's a it's a trip. <laughs> totally. That's I mean, that's exactly that's exactly it. It's such an interesting and like I said, liberating in some ways to be able to just know that the performance that's playing in my head is actually coming through on the page uh, and not having to police myself to make sure that like, I don't wanna assume too much about this character because I don't wanna, again, like just like with a director, you don't wanna assume too much about a character because you want the actor to be able to come in and color it in as well. Um, so you need to make dynamic and very real and very specific characters, but you don't want to, you know, like say like, oh, she sighed here or she did it. You don't want to put anything like that in there because that's the actor's work. You just want to tell them the line and they decide how the emotion comes through on it. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, as a director, like I get to tweak that when I'm actually directing them. Um, but it is a whole, it's a whole different thing. And it took me a second to really like allow myself to do that where you know I gotta be specific like I gotta really like be a part of it that was that was special oh fantastic so whispers is a a crazy legend an American legend that you've got uh where did this idea come from so this idea was honestly born out of observation of our country going from what I felt was a unified and um, just hopeful country that had uh, a lot of progress that we were trying to make collectively, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden to factions 
Like I just watched our country split into factions and I became obsessed with why. And upon, you know, the deep dive of research that I did, I discovered some reasons why. Um, and then of course had to check and recheck and recheck again, because I am again, a little bit obsessive. I don't know if we said that in the pre-show or not, but <laughs> it is true. I'm a little bit obsessive and very detail oriented. So, um, I, you know, I did a huge deep dive went all the way back. I'm talking like historically to 200 years ago to see how this pattern happened. Um, and whispers happened because of that whispers, pretty much told me it needed to be written. And so I started writing it. And ironically, usually with a screenplay, I plot things out. Um, there's a very specific structure, you know, and it, the structure varies depending on what studio you're working with or, you know, what, um, what production company you're trying to work with. Yeah. So, you know, I usually am very like, okay, I'm writing this for this. Or I'm, you know, I'm going to work with this company. So I really want to make sure I hit these things in their genre, da, 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 da. Um, with this book, uh, I, I didn't really do much pre-writing. I have like a little spiral notebook and I think I filled maybe five pages and it was just to make sure that things that I set up, I paid off. Um, but I honestly felt like this was, I was guided in this, like the, you know, whatever you want to call the greater power was <laughs> definitely like, okay, <clears throat> here we go. You were going to write this. And I was like, no, it's so hard though. Like it's, it's 329 pages. What? I write a hundred pages max. <laughs> so yeah, but it, to my surprise, 329 pages was exactly the amount I needed. I couldn't have told it in a page less, you know, and in a page more, it would have been too much. Like it was exactly where it needed to be. And that was its own surprise for me. <laughs> like I reached page 100 and I was like, I'd be done by now. I'd probably be done like a week ago because, you know, screenplays are double spaced and they're oh, yes. structured completely differently. And dialogue takes up so much room because like a screenplay is formatted to be one minute for every page, which you probably know, but I don't know if your listener does, but um with screenplays in general, it takes about one minute of um, on-screen time, filming time, or not filming time, but um, finished film time for every one page that you have. So 100 pages is, you know, literally well, 140 minutes. I'm sorry, 140, 100 minutes. So like an hour and 40 minutes. So that's a long screenplay. Yeah. At 10 pages. I mean, 10, geez, 100 pages. <laughs> So long screenplay at a hundred pages. <laughs> um, so, you know, to do one that was literally more than three times that um, it was new, <laughs> it was new, but it was, it was really amazing. Um, I got to live with these characters so much longer. Um, I love them. I love them so much more than I think I've loved any other character. And it's probably because I lived with them for so long and I got to be in their heads for so long on a, a level, like I am in their heads for sure as a screenwriter, but not to the level that I got to experience with this. So it was definitely new and amazing. My gosh, that's, that's amazing. Now, what about, what does the future hold? I mean, I know, you know, movies are kind of on hold still and some are starting back up, but how about you? Are we expecting more books? 
Thank you for asking that question. It is such a good question. I need to ask myself <laughs> this question. Um, so both of my films right now that, uh, one of them is just, it's such a beautiful story. Um, and I actually am, it's, it's one I'm working with Billy Ray Cyrus on, uh, and we are working with the family of a young poet who um, passed away from a heroin overdose um, before she turned 20. And her story is really important. Um, she's from like an upper middle class family and like people tend to think that heroin is, you know, some dirty street drug and like the people who use it or, you know, whatever they think about people who use it. But it's interesting because this girl came from such a really loving family and like a really beautiful um, place in the world. She's from New Orleans and somehow um, the opioid epidemic got her too. And she's not the only one. And I feel like that story is so important on so many levels. One of them is because she had such a special voice, such a unique voice. Um, her poetry is actually what grabbed me first. Her family reached out to me directly and sent me her book and actually asked if they could hire me to you know, write and direct their movie. And this is like four years ago. And I was like, I'm sorry, no, I don't work with people who don't you know, work in the industry. It's such a hard and arduous thing. I would never wanna put you guys through that. Um, you know, I don't fund my own movies, other people do. So I'd have to like pitch this around you know, and I just, and they were like, well, we'll pay you. And I'm like, I know. And that's why I can't do it. <laughs> you know, like I can't, I can't take a grieving family's money. That's just never going to happen. So long story short, um, I pitched it to Billy like years later and it was completely out of left wing. Billy had written a new song um, called blood of the devil. And he was playing it for me in his living room. And it like brought me to tears and I could not believe Oh, what I was hearing, because the song was about Kendall, the the girl, like it was about uh, her yeah. um, to the point where it was talking about how there's a cold wind blowing over the bayou tonight. I mean, it was like, what? Um, and so I, I told him about it. And then Noah, his youngest daughter, came in and Billy's like, holy crap, because I just showed him the picture of Kendall. He's like, she looks just like Noah. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my God, she does look just like me. We had this whole crazy moment where we were just like, okay, like, we should do this. So Billy encouraged me to reach out to the family and go ahead and write the book. Uh, I mean, the, sorry, the movie. And um, so I went down in New Orleans and spent a couple uh, weeks with the actual family in her house um, and walked all of the streets, met all the people, you know, um, the whole thing. And so... That movie, like, that's such a huge, long, di like, side story. Sorry about that. Like, I just, <laughs> oh, that movie means so much to me. And so that one, no matter what, um, I want that to happen as soon as we possibly can, because I do feel like her story is very important. It's very relatable. And it's something that I really believe could help people. Um, or at least, like, give some comfort to people um, as well. So that one, no matter what, um, as soon as COVID allows, we're going to move forward on that. My other one, um, we have actors attached to it. We just need to figure out their schedule versus COVID. So depending on what happens with the film industry will depend on, you know, the movies coming out. But book-wise, I definitely have the bug right now. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Good. I feel like 
because I did this one so quickly, I have this like false sense of how simple it would be to write another one. <laughs> and I know it's false. Like deep down inside, I know it's bullshit. Like I know it's going to be its own thing. But I want to capitalize on that energy right now and hopefully get at least one more book out before um, things resume to normal. So that's where I'm at. Outstanding. Yes. Well, I hope whenever the next one comes out, you let us know so that we can help uh, help get the word out and let everybody know that uh, that you have another one. Well, thank you. I'd love to come back on your show. You're wonderful. So I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find and follow you? So thank you. Um, I have a website. It's www.whispersbooks.com. So it's whispers with an S, books with an S.com. Um, and that will take you to pretty much everything you need to know about whispers. It brings you directly to, um, our Amazon listing. The book only went up on Tuesday. So it's only been out now, what, 70 something hours. <laughs> like it's, yeah. It's just started its little journey. Um, but that being said, I'm not sure how great the aggregator is for the internet. <laughs> like, I don't know how good the SEO optimization is. So you might want to just go directly through the website. If you are interested in the book, it might be a little bit easier than trying to dig through Amazon. Who knows? What did you find? Did you, you looked it up. How, how hard was it to find on Amazon? Uh, you know, actually, I looked it up by your name and I went right to it. Ah, okay. See, smart, smart. You looked it up by the name. I yeah. Remember that trick. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, to save everybody trouble, I'll make sure to have a link to not only your website, but also to the Amazon page. So nobody I has rock. to worry about searching. They can just click right through and find the book there. You're amazing. Thank you, Jason. That's a huge <laughs> it's <help>. my pleasure. <laughs> uh, Bonet, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And uh, we, we've had a lot of laughs, uh, as everybody could hear when I was laughing, trying to get the introduction just out. And uh, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, Jason, thank you so much for having me. This really was a blast. You're amazing. I love everything that you're doing. I can't wait to read your book. <laughs> you're too kind. <laughs> I'm serious. Especially when your new one comes out, you better let me know. <laughs> I will let you know. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to hand the floor over to my guest, Bonet Bartron with Whispers. Amazing. So I'm going to go ahead and read starting a little bit into the book. It's chapter five, but I feel like this is probably a good place to start for people who haven't read the prologue or anything yet. So here we go. <laughs> chapter five. It's hard to look back on it all now, knowing what I know. I still dream that I somehow transport myself to the moment on the ride and fucking demand more information from my three nieces. I don't know what I could have said to unlock the story without the whole journey, but I should have gotten more than a name. I believed the girls, I always did. It just didn't make sense. Their story was too veiled in innocence, too confused. My deepest regret is that I didn't share what they told me with either of my sisters. I kept my word to my nieces. I let their fears color my own decisions and I will never be able to change that fact. If there is one thing adults should ignore, it is a child's hesitation to do the right thing. Facing danger head on is a skill that has to be forged. No person has it innately, not when it comes to real peril. When we got back to the Airbnb, my sister started drinking and I told them I was gonna do some research for a case, taking my extra hard pina colada downstairs to the infamous playroom. I stayed up all night Googling. I started with the name, the only real piece of information I had, Mr. Tasty Treats. 
I'd never heard of him before, and the name neither inspired fear in my heart, nor did it seem that original. But I was shocked to see how fleshed out the lore behind him was. I used my laptop to read articles and creepypastas about him. Some posts were extraordinarily juvenile, painful to decipher, but others were frighteningly vivid. Around 3 a.m., I had the gaming computer running through a YouTube playlist I'd quickly queued up from a cursory search of the name, Tasty Treats. My laptop was overheating, and I had a fattening file on my desktop full of relevant selections of alleged sightings of the creature. I was doing that thing I do, obsessing, big time. I love a good mystery, and research is a perfect use of my single-track mind. Inside the main folder was a subfolder containing every artist rendition I could find of the creature. They were all a little different. This one had long pointed shoes. That one was depicted wearing a big buckle pilgrim clogs and pirate pants. Most of them had kind of a crucible time period clothes or something vaguely steampunk, always with a long clean apron and a big chef's hat that covered up his eyes. That was one of the main things they all agreed on. His blonde hair was long and always tucked under a chef's hat of some kind with fringe that covered most of his face. His hooked thin nose poked through slightly and only his bottom teeth and clean shaven jawline could be seen when he spoke. There were conflicting tales of Mr. Tasty Treats everywhere I looked and it took me a minute to realize that the results contained some professional level short films as well as caught on camera footage. Most of it was obviously staged, but others claimed to be actually citizen recorded and some of it was pretty convincing. The veracity of each video appeared to be the subject of a lot of debate in the comments on each of the endless stream of clips. Users vehemently insisted on their point of view whether it could actually be a true Mr. Tasty Treat sighting or if it was just another hoax. I couldn't believe the venom in some of the posts. There were even commenters who believed Mr. Tasty Treats was behind a disappearance in their town or of people that they knew. A few clicks later, I found a bunch of fan sites. There was one site that claimed to know how to get Mr. Tasty Treats to call an enemy's phone, but warned that if a person actually did it, it was a real chance the intended victim would disappear forever. That unnerved the shit out of me. So of course, I sent an email to the address provided and asked for access to the phone number. Every time I thought I had Mr. Tasty Treats pinned down, another piece of information would fly out of left field and send me spiraling down a different rabbit hole. I was trying to find out the creator of the original story, figure out what year Mr. Tasty Treats was first mentioned, find out anything at all besides the thousands of fanfics and terrified children's stories I couldn't help but get sucked into reading. It was nearing dawn when I found something that dated all the way back to 2003, when I was in middle school. There was a mention of Mr. Tasty Treats kidnapping two girls a few years younger than me while they were playing in the woods outside of Bar Harbor, Maine. Apparently, they had posted on their MySpace that they had been contacted by someone named Mr. Tasty Treats just days before they disappeared. The strange part was that I also found a police report that seemed to correspond exactly to the case. I put that case in a new subfolder, actual disappearances. I'd suss out the facts later, but that was a real lead. It was around that time that I started thinking this whole story could make a good movie concept. Since I am a supportive girlfriend, despite the lack of evidence in my story thus far, I sent Kent a quick email asking him if he'd ever heard of the creature before. I also sent him a copy of my folder of tidbits and a few links to some of the more unnerving footage. Kent's got an incredible eye and it helps that he's a director of photography. So I was really hoping he would take a look at the footage and tell me how to spot the fakes. 
I'd even be cool with a little mansplaining about how one of the more disturbing clips was achieved. It was made to look like security cam video of a little girl asleep in her crib. There's a frame of static, then the shadowy baker appeared. He crouched on the windowsill just outside the room and ran his hand down the window to unlock it and push it open. He grabbed the child and looked up at the security camera before jumping out the window. I rewound it to that moment, playing it in slow motion. His hand was over the child's nose and mouth and her saucer eyes were full of fear as she made eye contact with the camera. I paused the clip. That kid was one hell of an actress. I heard the birds, but I had pulled the Venetian blinds down over the solitary basement window earlier for obvious reasons. So I was practically blinded by the sun when I finally walked upstairs. It must have been 7 a.m. because Emily was already standing at the coffee maker. She jumped out of her skin and spilled grounds everywhere when I entered the kitchen from the wrong direction. Christ on a cracker! You scared the piss out of me! You can't do that to a mom! Emily was genuinely mad at me. I could tell she really had peed herself a little. I tried super hard not to laugh, but failed miserably. Ugh, you finished making the coffee. I'm gonna go shower. What were you doing down there anyway, vampire? She didn't wait for my answer. She was up the stairs and had the water running before I could even compose myself. I snorted with laughter as I finished making the coffee and swept up the grounds. I was tired, but honestly, I don't think I get as tired as most adults. I mean, I can always sleep in and catch back up. Maybe just the knowledge of that helps me pull the hours I do from time to time. That night was by no means a unique evening for me. I do crazy sleepless cram sessions when I'm added to a pre-existing case or when a new game drops, especially if it's from software or Bethesda. I know, but I never said I was cool. And if assumptions were made, that's not on me. Amalia came down the stairs next. Her eyes were puffy and she was a little swollen in the throat area. Morning, you ready for some coffee? I asked her, handing her a cup already made to her specs, a drizzle of cream only. She shook her head and croaked, oh, no thanks, I'm not feeling great. I may need to go lay back down. You look pretty pale yourself. I hope we didn't catch something. Concerned for me, she reached, out, she reached out her mom hand to check her forehead temperature against my own and made me smile. I just haven't slept yet. I fell into a dark corner of the internet and Emily caught me on my way up to bed. Oh no, you went full on spacey Stacy. As she laughed, I could hear the rawness of her throat, but calling me by my childhood nickname was a low blow. Careful there, sis. Chortling like that might make you lose your voice and we wouldn't want that now, would we? We both laughed pretty hard and her voice sounded like a wooden box lid scraping closed. Emily reappeared, head wrapped in a towel and helped herself to a huge cup of coffee, taking a considerable sip before she began to speak. Okay. Now what the living hell were you doing up all night? I didn't know how to answer her. I had made a promise to the girls that I wouldn't share any information that wasn't really important. And the last thing I wanted to do was make them feel like they couldn't confide in me. On the other hand, I was itching to tell them both about the crazy story I discovered. So I decided to read my sisters in without letting them know where I'd heard of MTT in the first place. On a side note, I just learned that Mr. Tasty Treats is all over 4chan, but they refer to him as MTT only. Figuring out that keyword ended up unlocking so many other stories and links that I got overwhelmed and decided sleep would be a good choice. I also needed to make sure the nieces didn't walk in and get the wrong idea. So I beckoned my sisters downstairs and plugged in my earbuds so the sound wouldn't give us away if the girls woke up. Right out the gate, I played the video that haunted me with the static and the baker who apparently uses telekinesis to enter the girl's room. 
Emily started protesting instantly, pulling the earbud from her, her ear. Uh-uh, nope, I hate stuff like this. Mm -mm, it's too real. She handed the earbud to Amalia, who didn't say anything, but put it in her exposed ear. She was watching the screen intently. I whispered to my sister, it really does look genuine, doesn't it? She was getting angry with me. You don't know how scary that is for a mother. That's my worst fucking nightmare. It's like Slenderman or Momo or something, Amalia reported without looking away from the screen. She paused it just before the little girl looked into the lens and turned to me. Is this from a movie? Totally possible. Some of the footage I found is, for sure. I mean, not a Hollywood movie, but it's pretty common subject of short films, cosplays and stuff. And I think some foreign filmmakers have used similar looking characters. I've already found so much video of this guy and it dates back to like when we were kids. But that clip, that's the one that just, I don't know, it creeps me out the most. You know about wrinkles, right? That clown guy? Amalia pulled the earbud from her left ear and let it hang as she continued to sift through the, my research folder, nodding absentmindedly as she scanned. I had never heard of any of that kind of stuff, but apparently Emily had, and she was an instant uproar. He is a twisted fucker, and any parent who would call him, I mean, that should be a crime, legitimately. You know that guy gets off on terrorizing kids. He has to. Why else would he do it? What parent would invite a perverted son of a cock like that into their child's life? Did you see the documentary on him? Amalia asked, clicking through another of my clips in the real footage subfolder in my actual disappearances folder. Emily was visibly red. Oh yeah, Dustin and I stayed up all night watching it when it first came out. It's no wonder some children turned into such fucked up adults. Okay, so obviously I'm missing a huge part of this. Anyone gonna fill me in? I was getting frustrated. I couldn't help it. I was showing them something and somehow I was the odd one out again. Emily started in a very matter of fact way, like it hurt for her to speak the words that flew rapid fire from her mouth. He's this guy who created a scary online clown monster named Wrinkles and parents hire him to torment their children when they act out or are being quote unquote bad. Like a real life boogeyman, Amalia added. Oh shit, wow, I didn't know what to say. So he's a real guy, but he pretends to be wrinkles and actually goes to people's houses? Yes, parents pay him to scare their children. I mean, I think it's mostly video and phone calls, but at least one of them has had him show up at their house. How fucked up is that? I mean, there is enough in this world to be afraid of. Who dreams up such a thing, let alone actually makes a hotline? A hotline? You mean people can call him directly? I was starting to see the correlations. I'd signed up for something similar the night before. I had figured it was more, more than likely a scam, so I plugged in my Google call phone number instead of my cell. But now hearing that it could actually be a deranged man in a costume, it got me thinking. The girls said they were gonna make a TikTok the other day. I didn't know you let them carry phones. Emily nodded her head. I just started letting them use my old one. It's only for emergencies and it only gets internet on Wi-Fi but they make little videos all the time. I think Uncle Kent is a big inspiration for them. I nodded and Amalia sensed my thoughts. Why do you ask, Stacy? Emily looked at me too, a hint of concern in her eyes. They weren't calling wrinkles, were they? I didn't even know who wrinkles was a minute ago. I was just wondering out loud is all, I said, a little more exasperated than I wanted. The possibility of a real person talking to the girls just upped the importance level of the conversation, and I was quickly deciding to tell my sisters everything when we heard the scream ricochet through the house. The world slowed down as we all sprinted for the stairway, shoving each other as we clambered toward the sound. 
Lana and Morgan were standing beside Rosie, their eyes wide in horror. And Rosie was pointing at the open back door, tears streaking down her little face. He took her, he just took her. Emily screamed at me to stay with Rosie and she was out the door running barefoot across the empty yard. Oh my goodness, who took her, who? Oh, that was Bonet Bartron with her debut novel, Whispers. She is a storyteller at heart and I cannot wait to dive into this book and uh, see some of her movies. Make sure you are clicking that link in the show notes for her website, her book. I've got the links in there for all of that. Also, don't forget to follow our podcast friends and sponsor a like. And finally, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next week when I am back for our regular scheduled episodes and Jim Metzner with his book, Sacred Mounds. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a really interesting book. So until then, take care, everybody. Happy Halloween. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.